This is the Podcast Express coming at you with Five Minutes of Trouble, the Internet's only podcast where we discuss John Carpenter's legendary Big Trouble in Little China, five minutes at a time. Guess what? I'm in the driver's seat this week. I'm your co-host, Brett Stillo. I'm your other co-host, Josh Horowitz from the Wing Kong Exchange. And we have a new guest this week. For the first time in podcasting history on the internet, we present filmmaker and editor Ian Kesbaum. Welcome to the Podcast Express, Ian. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Ian, nice to meet you. Sorry you picked the day when I was driving. Whoa, wait a minute. Okay, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'm going to hang on to the wheel while we do this. It's okay. I like to live dangerously. It's okay. You know, listeners, a little known fact, when we're doing these podcasts, Josh actually drives with his knees. He'll just holds the wheel like between it. It's, it's really cool. So, but me, it's going to be 10 o'clock and two o'clock, if you know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, Ian, uh, I've known for many years. Uh, he is an editor in Hollywood. He's done many different TV shows, and he's done. Uh, did have you done motion picture stuff, Ian? Uh, I did a little bit uh, when I first starting out, a bunch of independent films, uh, but it's been mostly TV for the last few years. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And uh, he has one of the uh, one of the biggest film libraries that I've seen when I've gone to people's houses. I, mean, I just remember <laughs> wall covered with films. And and I do believe that Big Trouble in Little China was one of those films. Uh, it's definitely on there. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't have a film library without it. <laughs> mm -hmm. When was the first time uh, you remember seeing Big Trouble, Ian? I, I was trying to think back to this. I'm pretty sure I, I saw it at home, not in the theater. Um, so but it was probably right when it came out on uh on video you know we were a big uh vhs family back then sure so you know that was uh one of the overplayed movies that uh wow. my parents hated me <laughs> watching over and over again yeah it probably got most of its fan base from video i would think uh yeah i mean yeah it came out in film uh, theaters in 86 uh brett saw it for the first time there i i didn't see it until the year after on hbo you know, I just, I was just thinking, you know, you guys have saw it so many times on, on cassette. That's one thing I, I never had the pan and scan experience with this movie, hmm. which, uh, I've only ever seen it on a big screen or, uh, on Blu-ray. So I've always been able to enjoy the fullness of, you know, the color, the lighting, the sets and, uh, man, VHS, <laughs> I, I would imagine this movie looks, would look exceptionally dark. Hmm. on a VHS format. Yeah, I mean, I that was really the only version I knew for the longest time. I, I just remember, I think when I saw uh, the movie on the big screen at one of those midnight showings one time that I, I was able to finally notice, you know, little bits of richness, <laughs> stuff off that, to the sides that always got cut off. That, I mean, like mm -hmm. like Lopan's pinky, for instance, that, that grows. I mean, that that's something that gets cut <laughs> off in the pan and scan. Yeah. yeah. I feel like every movie I've ever seen is kind of that way, though. Like my whole life was VHS growing up. Right. It's a whole new world when you uh when you finally get the Blu-ray theater experience. It's great. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you have to think back just, you know, the the novelty of being able to watch a movie at home. I mean, that was good enough back then with VHS. It's yeah. like I can watch a James Bond movie whenever I want. <laughs> wow. And do you remember when the VHS tapes cost like two hundred dollars to buy them? Oh yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I uh Quick backstory: In the early '80s, I worked at a video store. Oh, and I think that's why I mentioned James Bond because um, that was like the gold standard at the video store. This would be like '82, '83, '84, and I remember a guy buying, doing just that. He like bought 
Goldfinger for, and this is $1983. It was like $200 back then. Wow. Now it'd be a bit like three, four, $500 now. Hmm. So, uh, and he was, yeah, he was the king of the world. I own a James Bond movie. <laughs> I'm going to take, I can watch this whenever I want. Yeah. I mean, even back then that was the equivalent of having like canisters of film and a projector at home. I mean, yeah, it wasn't something that most people had. It uh, yeah. seems like a lot so long ago, <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't that long ago, actually. I still have all my VHS tapes. Do you? Oh yeah. They're in my parents' basement, but I got them all. <laughs> when was the last time you watched something on a VHS format? Oh God, it had to be, uh, yeah. Probably back when I was in college. Hmm. You know, that's like the late 90s. Okay. Yeah. Just this year, I, was, I saw something on cassette and it was, it was, le it was more about, yeah, having the VHS experience of, you know, tracking and that <laughs> kind of blue tinted washed out look. And of course, pan and scan. <laughs> of course. Because you really don't want to see everything. You want to <laughs> have some mystery. <laughs> What's happening beyond the borders? Yeah. I've actually found uh, that I, I am using VHS tapes even now, mostly for my kids. You know, I'll go to one of those Goodwill stores and, you know, they have just VHS tapes for a buck. And, you know, all these Disney films, I can just pop them in the VHS. My kids don't care. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, yeah no, still Good. still has its its uses. Uh, but uh, let's let's start discussing this episode. Uh, we're talking about minutes 70 through 75 of Big Trouble in Little China. Minutes 70 start with a Chang Sing being eaten by a monster in the tunnels under Chinatown, and they end with Lopan communicating with Egg and Company through the Guardian, the Eyeball Guardian. Uh, yeah, lots, lots happen in this episode, lots of sets, lots of uh, neat characters, and, uh, yeah. and let's get started. Yeah. Well, you know, reviewing these five minutes, I found myself saying, you know, this is a really good movie. Wow. You know, there's a it's there's a deceptive amount of stuff that happens in this uh, in this five minute segment. And uh, I wasn't expecting it. I just thought this was going to be, you know, a fair amount of exposition getting ready for the big battle coming. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was I was surprised and like, yeah, wow, this sure is a good movie. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you have elements in, in these minutes of what makes this a John Carpenter film. You've got the, the sort of freak out monster moments. Uh, you've got the, the snappy dialogue, the, yeah. the neat sets. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in this five minutes, this is where egg really comes into his own. Mm -hmm. You know, he's gone from, you know, goofy tour guide to crazy wizard to, well, as this segment opens, he is a wizard. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah at a time when when wizards weren't quite as prominent in film uh you know no harry potter in at this time yeah yeah that's a good point he was uh he, egg would be a loner he would be an icon you know nowadays yeah you know wizards come dime a dozen hmm. but no, uh, i don't know i'm trying to think of some some good movies now with wizards from the 80s right hmm. yeah the, the 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 masters of the universe movie what oh, year yeah. was that that was about 85, wasn't it? I have, so, the, you know, there That's, you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Leo McKern in um, Lady Hawk. Was oh, he a wizard or a sager? But he was... It was close enough. Yeah, he, he was definitely like, you know, the you know because one important thing in having a wizard in an adventure is he's also the exposition guy. 
And that's kind of what I remember him doing in Ladyhawk was, you know, so you're wondering where he goes at night. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I love here that uh, Jack kind of calls him out on that, just tells him to shut up and let's move on with the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just wants him to, you know, get, get on with it. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, when, when we start out the minutes, I mean, we, we have that, uh, you know, that, that monster that just sort of jumped out. And, you know, in the, in the previous minutes, we saw that that Egg had actually pulled out his weapon of choice, which we're going to be seeing a bit in upcoming minutes, which are these kind of magic grenades, these special beads. Uh, you know, in, in the previous one, it's like he, you know, he kind of shined a flashlight on them and, and then he, uh, you know, he threw it into the hole. Uh, my question here is, when I watched this the first time, I wasn't quite sure. Was he pulling him out uh, and shining with the flashlight because he wanted to try to see which one was the right bead? Or was that something that activated it? I'm going to say the latter, that, yeah, Egg is a good wizard. He is a wizard of light, so he needs light, but he's in a dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. So he needs the flashlight to activate his magic. I'm yeah. going to go write a dissertation I'd, on that now. I'd have to agree, given that... Uh through the rest of the movie, every time he throws them, they do have the pretty much the same effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd expect to see something different there, wouldn't you think? Yeah. For a different situation. Although he does miss a lot, too. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> that's true. I think, you know, I think that's part of Egg's charm is <laughs> we're seeing him in these minutes coming up. He's he's a badass. <laughs> um, but he's a somewhat inept, you know, clumsy badass. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, he's he's having the time of his life here. Hmm. You know, one of his men has just been eaten. And uh, he's just like, hey, did you see that? <laughs> and uh, then we have a classic line by Jack. You know, what? Huh? Yeah, what'll come out no more? <laughs> yeah, what'll come out no more? And it's that his voice cracks a little. This is the... The uh, the voice of the ten year old Jack we hear from time to time. Mm-hmm. He said, "You know, this is you know the I want to go home guy." Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's genuinely know. freaked out at this point. He just he can't wrap his head around <laughs> everything that's happening around oh. him. He sure he, can. He, he's kind of the audience, Jack. You know, he's like what what yeah. we're thinking, what we would be. He he's me in that situation. Well, I would have ran from that tunnel screaming, but yeah. <laughs> you know, he's 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 what we think we would be in that situation. That's true. Yeah. Uh, especially at the beginning when there's just so much happening and you're not quite sure what's going on. Jack, too, feels very clueless, though he will make his transition. I think once he drinks the uh, the contents of the six demon bag, then his transformation into accepting it all is kind of complete. But that, that comes later. Yeah. You know, you've, you guys have just hit on something I've never really thought of before. And it goes back to, to my youth when I would go to these movies in the 80s uh, with the gang, a big bunch of guys, you know, we'd go see Wrath of Khan or Big Trouble. You know, when I went to see Big Trouble, it was with the guys. Um, and it seems like inevitably there was always one guy who was the grouchy doubting guy. <laughs> you know, oh, come on, that would never really happen. What, like wizards and monsters in Chinatown? Yeah, I guess that is somewhat unrealistic. Um, but yeah, there'd be this guy who kind of had the same tone as Jack. I remember when I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark and there was a doubting guy. Really? Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm not friends with that guy anymore. (laughs) I don't know what (laughs) happened to him, but yeah, 
seems like it would be a different guy every time, but there was one guy who just had to be the party pooper hmm. and say, oh, that's totally unrealistic. Yeah, a real monster would behave much differently. But of course, having somebody <laughs> like that in your group gives you something to talk about for the next half hour yeah. as you're walking back to your car. Yeah. Or to make fun of the guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what Jack is. Jack is that guy who's, uh, you know, Egg's having the time of his life. Jack's trying to ruin the party. Hmm. Oh, what is this? <laughs> that's totally a matte painting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then moving on, we... Uh, we then jump straight back into the Wing Kong, and we get our first glimpse of Gracie and Miao Yin in their new outfits, these very ornate, elaborate Chinese dresses and their makeup. And uh, the thing I noted here was that, uh, again, going back to the, the first draft W.D. Richter script, uh, it's a little bit different here. Uh, the screenplay has a scene where Gracie's actually half-drugged and she's trying to resist as a bunch of female Wing Kong guards are dressing her and Miao Yin for the wedding. And she wonders out loud where Jack is. You're like, oh, Jack, where are you? And it it just seems like it weakens her character. I can see why they may not have wanted to do that. She she yeah. She's not really pining for Jack too much in the film version that we see. And that's that's the Gracie I know. You know, she, she's not yeah. a, a helpless type of female. She's she's very much. Uh, what was the term you used? Like a Hawksian female? Like Howard Hawks? Yeah, like, yeah, like a classic 40s. Yeah, Howard Hawks, wise cracking dame. Yeah. And in this little scene, you know, this little bit she has, it is quite the opposite. You know, she, she does an anti wink, <laughs> you know, she opens that one eye. It's, it's very comical, but it's, it's very gracie. You, you almost get the feeling like in the previous scene, was she faking it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, is she, you know, oh yeah, she's drugged. She's out of it. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm Gracie law. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I fight for, I fight for the rights of immigrants. And, uh, yeah, she's opening that eye because she wants to, to do her. I'm Gracie Law. Uh, <laughs> there's nobody around for her to say that. And notice uh, once she opens that eye again, we get the little chord in the soundtrack that lets you know that she opened her eye. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> Just in case we missed it. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't seem to have much time to do anything before lightning comes in, though. And uh, when he does come, notice he's not wearing his straw hat. You know, he, he just comes in. He's got that awesome cape. You know, he's got to do that dramatic unfurl. And then he does his his lightning bit, uh, which I, I was commenting to Ian uh, earlier. I mean, that's it, it's cool looking lightning. All, all the animation effects that they did for this film when it came to the lightning is is just great. You know, it feels alive. It doesn't look like it's yeah. fake. Well, I mean, I, I remember you know when I was a kid watching this, everything in this movie looked real. Hmm. You know, I was about ten years old. Everything seemed real, and I'm watching it now. I watched this movie again this morning, and I'm like. How did I find that real? <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, you know, my four year old walked in as I was watching and, and he kind of ran out of the room screaming. So <laughs> I guess it, uh, I, I guess, I guess to a, a small mind, a lot of this, this, I mean, this movie, it, this terrified me as a kid. I loved it. I watched it over and over again, but to be scared. You know, in this scene right here, I was telling Josh earlier, this is, this is one of the scenes that scared me more than any. You know, when those those eyes open up and they're white. Oh, like, yes. I, I was wor I was worried that would happen to me one. Day. Oh. You know, I had a, a somewhat similar thought that, uh, yeah, that's it's very subtle, but it's very creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, we just had a monster come out of a, a hole in a cave and eat a guy, um, which is a very John Carpenter moment. But uh, that's nothing compared to uh, a beautiful woman opening her eyes and there's nothing there. Mm hmm. 
And I, I was also worried a monster would come out of the cave and eat me too. So that, <laughs> you know, again, it is a Carpenter movie, and uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that that's what one thing it helps is he's. It's not a, a true horror film, but there's enough shocks here and there that keep you on the edge of your seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, this is a movie about eyes, green eyes. Uh, a fellow with a lot of eyes who's going to show up uh, in a couple of minutes, yeah. and, uh, and white eyes, and, this, this, <laughs> and white eyes. So it's a very, if you will, visual movie. Yeah this this marks this marks two instances of contact lenses. You know the the green contact lenses for both actresses, and now the white contact lenses. Wow, yeah. it must have been a rough shoot for Kim Cattrall. <laughs> Just a lot of visine. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound effect when they open their eyes uh, adds to the, yeah. the freakiness of it mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you guys are right. When, when I was a kid, I, I do remember that that, that was uh, kind of a little bit of a freak out moment. And I, I kind of was happy when <laughs> later on they open their eyes and they don't have that white thing going on anymore. Yeah. It's, it's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's just contact lenses. And even I, I was saying that myself a little while ago, Oh, those are just contact lenses, right? Right. I mean, I had to sort of remind myself, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, in, in our world, we like pupils. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the simplest effects that are, are the most effective. Hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And then we return back to the tunnels. Uh, we get uh, a new music cue from the soundtrack. It's called Into the Spirit Path. This is actually one of my favorite of the different tracks on the album. It's uh, yeah, it's got the, you know, again, sort of the, the mixture of the the Asian feel along with, uh, you know, elements, which will come later of some of the 80s synth soundtrack stuff, you know, a good testament to, to John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. Those, those guys had one of their best soundtracks, I think, in, in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. It's just a transitional sequence, but the, yeah, the score really pops here. And, uh, one thought that came to mind was this is the kind of, uh, transitional music you would use in a lot of different scenes. Like I could see, you know, if this was a series, if they did Big Trouble a series, this would be a sequence that they'd use all the time. It would become one of those little trademark things. Huh. Yeah, no, it could be. <laughs> I love the fact that Jack lands in a big pile of fish, though. How many how many movies with heroes <laughs> do you see that happen? <laughs> yeah, while holding a dagger in his mouth. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that can't be very safe if that was a real knife. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think they discussed that. You know, in this movie, it's a fantasy, but, you know, they inject bits of realism here and there. You know, what if that really happened? And yeah, how come, how come the hero never cuts his lip or goes, ow? Mm. <laughs> or, you know, worst case scenario, yeah, you just, you know, have two big gashes in your face. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's Jack Burden, you know. He doesn't get cut. Nope. It is all in the reflexes. <laughs> and you must remember the reflexes go all the way to the jaw and the teeth. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all in the reflexes once again. He made it look easy. Though I do remember, uh, I forget, somebody was posting on the truck stop that uh, you know, when they say it's all in the reflexes, is he referring to maybe his boots? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's the name of his boots, <laughs> the reflexes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think he names his shoes. I have such an issue with those shoes that, yeah, I'd like to just from this point on refer to them as the reflexes. <laughs> the Ren Fair moccasins, yeah. <laughs> the Ren Fair moccasin boots that I have very mixed emotions about, but we won't get into that now. I think I've, I've covered it in previous episodes. You all know how I feel about those boots. 
Well, uh, Wang makes a mention uh, uh, about the place that they're in is called the Wing Kong Storeroom Emergency Provisions. So what does that mean? How, how does he know it's for an emergency? I mean, do they do they eat raw fish in an emergency? If, if, if you're ever in, in trouble, you need a pile of fish. That's what I always say. <laughs> to me, it, it just rings of a very W.D. Richter kind of a, an idea. Hmm. It's like, you know, the, the watermelon in the hallway in, in Buckaroo Banzai. It's just, oh, yeah, we have a big room full of fish. Okay. <laughs> like, do the Wing Kong have an army of trained seals? I don't know. But... Uh, one thing I wonder is uh, that one guy on their team, you know, he, he bites the head off of that fish. Yes. <laughs> and part of me just says, okay, that was that was a stunt fish. That was a prop. <laughs> that was a cleverly disguised uh, croissant. <laughs> but um, knowing that all these guys in this team are stuntmen and dedicated stuntmen, I'll bet you he, you know, he said, yeah, I'll bite a head off a fish and eat it. Yeah, I no think problem. I think that's a real fish. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like one. Yeah, uh, I have a note about the the fish eater. That's actually uh, stunt coordinator and Chang Sing Kenny Endoso. He was one of the ah. the three uh, people who were involved, along with uh, I think James James Liu and um, no, there's J- James Liu and then Jim Jim Lau. That's who it Jim was. Lau. Jim Lau was the other martial arts Jim consultant. Lau. Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that, 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 that is Kenny eating a real fish. And that is part of the original screenplay that uh, complete where he eats the head off. And then Jack says later. Yeah. So yeah. good, good for Kenny <laughs> eating the fish. Hey, I'd do it for a close up. actually come to think of it. <laughs> Here I am saying, Ooh, he ate a fish, but no, Hey, you get a close up and you get a scene with Kurt Russell. So yeah, I'll do it. It's just, you know. The thought of doing multiple takes with it, that's where it gets a little rough. <laughs> that might be fish head like 12. I could just see a, a, a like a, you know, a cut scene where, and yeah, they're, they're doing all those takes. And every time, you know, Kurt Russell says later, later. And then finally, you know, he finally says, all right, fine. <laughs> he just takes a knee. <laughs> and uh, then moving forward, Egg has some bad news. Ready? Yeah. I, uh, I I like the fact that he's very precise about the year when he mentions it. You know, he says 2,258 years ago, which makes it, uh, if it's 1986, then that is 272 BCE. So very, very precise. And, yeah. and he's talking about the first sovereign emperor who subjugated Lopan and made him no flesh. When I heard that as a kid, I used to think he said low flesh, but yeah, no flesh. <laughs> uh, but, That's yeah. the medical condition. <laughs> Do when you look up Lopan's condition, it's named after him. It's called low flesh. It means you're a living ghost, and you're not technically you're not dead, but you know you you suffer from the Lopan's disease, which is low flesh. <laughs> yeah, this this whole setup is is basically there to ratchet up the tension because now we find out that that Lopan has to actually kill the girl that he marries. Yeah, good revelation. It it uh, brings things up a notch. Mm-hmm. It also is is like. You know, there have been these exposition explosions throughout the movie, but oftentimes the character is like Wang, for example, is, you know, I don't know, it's a legend. You know, they, you know, they say this and 3000 years ago and it's, it's, it's been a bit vague, like the characters aren't cer- certain. But here, yeah, Egg's just laying it out. Yes, 
you know, Lopez, 2,258 years ago, <laughs> seven months and two weeks and 14 days. This is what happened with Lopan. And it was the emperor cast a curse. And yeah, he's, he's cursed to live without flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, quote, an evil dream. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. As an editor, we hate exposition. You know, it kind of often will slow a, a show or movie down. You know, you want to kind of, kind of like let the audience figure things out on their own. So, he, so here he is laying everything out, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is big speech. And and Jack just jumps in and says, okay, that's enough. Let's move on. You know, and that's like that's that's the that's the editor in me saying, thank you. <laughs> we got it. But, you know, he could have gone on. I have a feeling he was going to talk for another 15, 20 minutes. If, uh, yeah. Jack yeah. hadn't stepped in there, so he's like, "The audience gets it. Let's let's uh, let's go find monsters." Good point. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jack. And, yeah, and you know, and, and Egg's using, you know, he's referring to this evil dream, and only a dream can kill a dream. That's such a cool line. Hmm. Only a dream can kill a dream. It's it's like on the side, he was writing lyrics for '80s synth pop songs. <laughs> Well, he talks about a lot of interesting things in this speech. One of the things that he refers to is called the Bodhisattva of the Underworld, the ultimate evil spirit. So I had to look that up. What does the Bodhisattva actually mean? Well, according to Wikipedia, it's a Buddhist term for anybody who, motivated by great compassion, has generated Bodhisattva, or a spontaneous desire to attain Buddhahood, a state of awakening. And according to East Asian Mahayana Buddhism... The Bodhisattva of the Underworld, or Hell, may be somebody called Keshitsgarbha. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Keshitigarbha, a monk who vowed to only reach Buddhahood once the hells were emptied. So the, there's some basis on this. There was actually this, this monk in this form of East Asian Buddhism who was this Bodhisattva of the Underworld. But of course, Egg's referring to Lopan as this. So there, there's some references here, and not not the yeah. same person, but but interesting, just kind of stuff. It's it's actually related to uh, to some of this religious things. Yeah. Once again, it's Richter, not just you know being a hack screenwriter and making things up, actually doing his homework and going back and, and giving us a little bit of anthropology and culture. Hmm. You see, you can learn things from movies. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I. I used to do this a lot whenever I would watch a movie, you know, in a theater or on video. Like I remember I watched the movie Glory a long time ago, you know, about the Civil War. And it actually yeah. made me want to go to, well, there was no Wikipedia back then. I actually opened up an encyclopedia and I looked up, you know, the uh, the Regiment of Massachusetts and those battles. And I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. There is a lot of stuff out there if you have the interest and, and the desire to go into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there has always been an argument about, you know, a, yeah, a movie like Glory is a good example where in telling the story on screen, there are certain conventions, uh, certain compromises. You know, characters are often um, you have composite characters. You know, one person in the movie represents several people. So, you know, that there is there's always the issue of, you know, historical accuracy, quote unquote, and, you know, getting it right, getting it wrong. But I think what you just said is you see a movie that has some basis in history and it inspires you to, you know, go look that up and you know, then you find out what really happened. That's so many movies have done that to me Yeah. where I know, okay, this is a movie, but I know this actually happened on some level. So what's the real story? And yeah, I always, I always find that, you know, I can have my cake and eat it too. I can have the, 
you know, there's the movie. Great Escape is an, a great example of this. Sorry while I'm tangenting. Um, <laughs> you know, there's the movie The Great Escape, one of my favorite movies. Um, Steve McQueen jumping over that barbed wire fence on the motorcycle. Uh, great stuff. But then you read about the actual Great Escape, and it's much more in depth. There are far more interesting characters. Yeah, Steve McQueen is his character is a composite of about three or four guys. Um, but I still love The Great Escape. I still think it's a great movie. But I, I can I can have both stories and enjoy both. Hmm. So there. <laughs> <laughs> and and in some cases, yeah, people are inspired to want to do things just from watching certain movies. I mean, I think uh, yeah. Pete Mummert. Uh, you know, he he decided to get uh, into archaeology. Is that right? Uh, from from watching right. Indiana Jones and yeah, you know, I mean Dennis Rule from doing all you know, watching some of the stunt movies. He wanted to go into that and and, and yeah. Desmond. So yeah, I mean, there's yeah. it inspires people these movies. Yeah. Does it count that I got into editing because I watched movies? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There you go. This is yeah. This I would you know this is uh this is one of the movies that led you to your career today. Exactly. Would you say there was one movie in particular that really got you interested in editing, Ian? Uh, you know, well, honestly, I actually kind of fell into editing. I, I was always interested in filmmaking. I, I didn't even really, as a kid, know what an editor was. So it wasn't something I ever quite aspired to be. But, you know, I, I think it's similar for for all of us. You know, it was the, the Spielberg movies as a kid. It was, it was the Raiders and Jaws or the... You know, going into Lucas's Star Wars, those things that I would watch 800 million times <laughs> on VHS. You know, some sometimes not even the action. Sometimes it was VHS taped off TV, by the way. So like, uh, and, and that, that was back in the day where like I had to hit pause every time there was a commercial. Oh, yes. So, so for <laughs> years, uh, I was missing a scene in Star Wars and didn't even know that it existed because <laughs> I, uh, I, I hadn't hit unpause quick enough when it came back. Uh, but no, it was those movies, you know, like it was those fantasy movies, uh, these big adventure, the things like Big Trouble in Little China, which is which is why I focus mostly on half hour comedies right now, because hmm. they're very similar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it was a lot of that stuff, you know, and it's uh, it was what wanted made me want to get into filmmaking. Hmm. Yeah. So, Ian, here's a question for you, because mm -hmm. editing is one aspect of this movie we haven't talked about a lot and I think because, you know, it's such a fluid movie, uh, maybe we take the editing here for granted because the thing moves really well. It's well paced. It, you know, even today, 30 years later, just moves right along. Um, and I think it's just it's the subtlety of editing. You don't notice how well it's cut because um, you're just in it. And part of that mm -hmm. is editing. And so, yeah, I would just say as an, you know, as an editor, how would you you know, rate it or an, a critique it. Uh, what do you think of the editing in this movie from 30 years ago? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's kind of like you say, you know, like we always joke that editing awards are, are kind of silly because uh, the best editor, you didn't notice he edited, hmm. um, you know, and, and this, mo this movie's very good, you know, and, and, and it, what it does, it uses a lot of humor to kind of propel the story along, which is which is always helpful. So you've got these big action set pieces, but then you then you'll that that pacing is always helped by things like you know Jack's reaction to eating a piece of fish hmm. and things right. like that that just kind of kind of kind of push that story forward while keeping you you there. You know, it, it it's just going back to that exposition thing I said. You know, it, with, that scene could have gone on for a long time. 
you know, but a lot of that in the editing and writing is let's move it forward. Let's make this interesting so that we're interested in what Egg is saying, but not, you know, not bored. And th this movie does quite a good job of that. Hmm. Yeah, the the editors on this one, I'd never heard of them before. Steve Murkovich, Mark Warner, Edward A. Warshilka. Have you ever heard of those guys before? They, I mean, just from this movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm not. I, I wouldn't say uh, as an editor. I wouldn't say I'm the the foremost authority on uh, <laughs> on editors in the world. Uh, you know, we're like any other job. We're we're in our in our little circle there of people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, no, they did a they did a great job. And it's not uncommon to have multiple editors on something this big too. Yeah, I have a feeling that these are probably the same editors that were on several of John Carpenter's films. If I were to look this yeah. up on IMDb. But yeah, the the last thing I really have to say about this scene before we move on, uh, Egg makes a comment that he says that he's waited for this for a long time. So my question is, how old is Egg? I mean, sure, he looks like he's probably in his 60s in this, but I, I have a feeling that he is probably a sorcerer who has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years and has been facing Lopan many times in the past. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the way he delivered that line, it's subtle, but you know, the way he accents it, um, yeah, you kind of, you, you might miss it the first time, uh, but then you think, and also his, you know, as I said earlier, his tone is changing. He's gone from, you know, goofy tour guide to uh, this formidable wizard. And here, when he delivers that line, it's like, you know, I've waited a long time for this. He's, uh, you know, echoing Alec Guinness a little bit. <laughs> Long time. I've not heard in a long, long time. <laughs> uh, I, I've often wondered if he's even real. Huh. You know, it was always, you know, like, you know, jumping out of our five minutes at the end of the movie, he kind of walks off into a cloud of smoke. Hmm. You know, he he, he only really engages, uh, you know, a little pan at the end there while everybody else fights around him. You know, he's, he's spewing this nonsense. He comes to stop him and then he leaves, hmm. you know. Ignoring yeah. that, that first scene with the, the lawyer. Hmm. Here's a fun one, and I'll do a shout out to Pete. We, you know, we know the story that you know, the, the Chinese emperor put the curse on Lopan. Maybe he had a court wizard who actually did the, the dirty, and maybe it was, maybe it was Egg. Oh. So you know, we probably, Lopan probably would have mentioned that in the big fight scene coming up. Hey, I remember you, but... <laughs> you know, it's a it's a fun little bit of speculation. Yeah, the the only thing I can think of, you know, nerding out on this movie is that he does refer to Egg as having peasant magic. Mm. Oh yeah, that's yep. coming up too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hmm. well, I think I think part of the charm is just that we don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, he's this mysterious character. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's uh, it's what's he going to do next? Who is he? You yeah. know. And here we are. We spent the like the last five minutes speculating about egg. So yeah, it totally works. <laughs> right. No, I don't think he's real. No, I think it's actually Victor Wong having a dream that he's egg Shan, and you know, it's got to have more egg Shan fan fiction. That's all there is to it. Well, it could set up something for a potential prequel to this film if you wanted to. Just you know, egg Shen throughout history trying to fight Lo Pan and all the different uh, <laughs> Jack Burton type characters that he encounters throughout history. <laughs> No, somebody's got to pen that one. I'd be happy to edit that. There we go. <laughs>
Big Trouble fan film. We'll talk about this after the podcast. Yeah, that, that reminds me actually. On, on the truck stop, there was uh, somebody who posted this really neat uh, picture. It was like a take on the poster of Big Trouble in Little China, and actually it showed uh, Egg Shen. And I, I forget what it was. I've got to take a look there, but as if it were a prequel. Yeah, it was. It had kind of a Harry Potter esque title, it was like you know, Egg Shen and the Six Bags of Magic, or the Six Demon Bag. Like that. That's what it was. The Six Demon Bag. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's a prequel. How we got the six demon bag. Hmm. Who were the six demons? Mm-hmm. Oh, the possibilities are endless. Indeed. Well, moving on, uh, we're back in the Wing Kong hallway. Uh, we get to see the stone set of the Wing Kong hallway with many Wing Kong and those elaborate Chinese ceremonial guards, which look a lot like the statues, which are against the wall. Yeah. And that's part of uh, the costume designer, uh, April Ferry. Uh, she did the costumes for Big Trouble in Little China. She now does stuff for Game of Thrones. Uh, but yeah, all, all of her elaborate work is shown off here. I mean, those ceremonial guards, they, they look really cool. And, you know, these are functional yeah. walk-around uh, outfits. Pretty neat. Yeah, And, and one of my favorite lines from Jack, are they real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As he's, he's, at this point, he's still not certain what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, this is, the, this is the section where he's got all his questions for Egg, <laughs> and he answers them the same way. It's just awesome. Yeah. Good thought so. <laughs> yeah. You know, watching this scene and seeing these guys in, you know, the elaborate masks, it made me wonder, are those Wing Kong employees? When, you, when you're hired by uh, the Wing Kong, do you end up, uh, do you get mask and sword training? Because, you, know, you know, they're faceless. It's, it's kind of an allusion to stormtroopers. Or Cylons or, you know, the many, you know, faceless guards yeah. in movies hmm. of this era. But it's like, well, who are those guys? And, you know. Hmm. Maybe they're, yeah, the the elite sort of ceremonial Wing Kong, uh, yeah, who, who have, I guess, made it to the next level. They get more benefits on their... Uh, you know, on their on their different employee plans. You start off in the mailroom and you end up with uh, a bronze mask. <laughs> uh, you know, the screenplay at this point mentions that, you know, when when Jack is asking all these questions, it actually says Jack's gone over the edge and living this nightmare full out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd I'll say, buy that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say Kurt Russell definitely read that and took it to heart. <laughs> And then we get our first glimpse of the Great Arcade. This yes. is that neon set where the wedding is mm-hmm. taking place. Uh, I, I think we'll we'll save a full discussion for this uh, for the next episode when we're really going to get a shot of it. But uh, we, we do see an amazing silhouette shot of Miao Yin's headdress as she takes that escalator down with lightning. So I, I guess uh, in, in this case, it was lightning who gets to send away the brides. Lucky guy. I just love that in this great underground temple, they have an escalator. Yeah. That's always been my favorite part. Yeah. Well, it's always like, you know, evil temple meets Southern California shopping mall. (laughs) You know, it could also be called the Galleria of Doom. Yeah. It does have a very uh, sort of Temple of Doom type feel to it all, doesn't it? Yeah. But with these, you know, very modern or contemporary 1980s bits like, yeah, neon. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you just mentioned, you know, the escalator, Hmm. Um, you could almost hear Muzak playing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would have been awesome. (laughs) You know, as as they're coming down the escalator, you could almost picture uh, Phoebe Case and Jennifer Jason Lee coming down in the the makeup. (laughs) Jeff Spicoli shows up. So, you know, wrong movie. (laughs) So I have a I have a question here. So 
you know, this is a wedding. You know, this is the, uh, you know, the, the, what do you call that? The processional, I guess, when the uh, when the brides come down. Uh, should they have tried contacting Miao Yin and Gracie's parents? Should they have been at this at this ceremony? <laughs> and I, my my guess is maybe maybe Lo Pan actually tried to do this during the wheelchair scene. You remember how he was asking Wang about Miao Yin's parents? You know, maybe uh, maybe yeah. he wanted to get their address so he could send them a wedding invitation. You know, it would have been nice. I can picture Lopan doing that, but I can also picture after the ceremony him eating them. <laughs> <laughs> or feeding them to the Yaren or the be- or the Guardian or any one of a number of, of beasties. But um, yeah, I could say, oh, welcome. It's so, it's so nice you could make it. And then, you know, he cuts their throats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my next question on this one was, so do you think, uh, you know, what was going to happen after the wedding? I mean, was there some sort of a reception hall next door? You know, was there going to be food, drink, <laughs> dancing, maybe a band? You know, is there some sort of a Chinese equivalent of doing the hora at these these weddings? Maybe that's what all the all the fish were for. <laughs> that was going to be their their meal. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. That's a warehouse full of fish. You know, it's like Lopan's favorite meal. I mean, okay, the guy uh, has been a living ghost for two thousand years. He's got to be starving. <laughs> so, you know, he hasn't had a, a real meal in like 2000 years. So probably, yeah, he just like, oh, I'm going to I could eat a whole warehouse full of fish, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, I'll say this. Whatever Lopan has planned for after the wedding, it's going to go wrong and he's going to be really annoyed. <laughs> this really pisses me off. <laughs> this is not the cake I ordered. Why can't I get the cake I ordered? You know, it's just, it's you got to remember Lopan is a super villain, but it just never goes the way he quite wants it. Or maybe his expectations are too high. Somebody's going to be, be recording it and, you know, the camera doesn't work. And he's like, oh, and pounds on it. Japanese, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that's that's a key thing to remember with Lopan. He has elaborate schemes and plans like every other villain, but his expectations are so high. So something goes wrong and he just, you know, oh, why is this happening now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We, and we, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but we do see hints of that in upcoming scenes where Lopan is, it's it's not the wedding of his dreams, but who does have the wedding of their dreams? So it's something always goes wrong. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, we do see the attendees of the wedding here. Uh, you know, in addition to the ceremonial guards, we get to see our friends, uh, Gerald Akamura and Al Leong once again, you know, along with the yeah. Wing Kong fighters. Uh, Gerald uh, having ditched his his guns for these uh, these gleaming axes this time. Ran out of bullets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nice to see Al and Gerald standing uh, together like that next to each other. I'm sure in real life they were old, old pals, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it's kind of nice to see him. And, you know, Al looks uh, slightly less pissed off. Yeah, they're they're actually kind of serene in this moment. They're not, yeah, not, not too it's actually a, yeah. a, a slightly less crazy Al... Uh, Leong, <laughs> which is <laughs> rare scene. And we get a cool look at the six armed green neon accented statue. Uh, my first thought when I saw this, having seen uh, Indiana Jones, and the temple of doom, I, I thought that that was the statue of, of Kali, but, but no, I think it's actually a statue of something called an Asura. And uh, looking this one up on, on Wikipedia, it says that uh, an Asura in Buddhism is the lowest rank of deity demigod, of the desire realm. And in this realm, which is a place that's actually above heaven and hell, 
beings find happiness through sensual desire, which causes them suffering. And so I thought, well, like Lopin's desire for green-eyed girls, uh, you know, maybe, you know, that, that's caused him to suffer for 2,000 years of, of torment, so maybe it's appropriate that he's got a representation of Asura, where desire causes suffering. That, yeah, again, that's that cool background stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's your five, five minutes of Buddhism. <laughs> that you get at the cineplex <laughs> pretty cool but, uh, yeah. yeah let's see anything else for uh for the arcade before we move on no uh no video games in this arcade unfortunately or actually well there there kind of will no, be no that's not there? true later later there later there is <laughs> that's coming right up. coming up we 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 i can tell we're all excited <laughs> we want to talk about the the ensuing minutes but yeah, we, we got to save that. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week. Well, uh, then we we return once again to the Wing Kong hallway, and we get our first glimpse of the eyeball guardian, the floating eye. And the, the notes I have here, this was created by visual arts director George Jensen and special effects artist Screaming Mad George of Boss Film oh. Studios. That's, that's his name, Screaming, Screaming Mad George. Mad George. Uh, I'm familiar with that gentleman, yeah. Oh, you've, you've heard that name George. before? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know that name. You see that name in credits. Mm-hmm. You know I can't recall specifically uh, something he's worked on, but you know I know a busy guy in the '80s. That's for sure. Mm. And uh, yeah, you know you look at him, the Guardian, and uh, I, I was going to say if you look at his eyes, but it's like yeah, which one? Because <laughs> <Which> one? <laughs> I think this is the first time I've noticed he has eyes literally in the back of his head. Yes. <laughs> And they all they open and close too. They're they're all yeah. fully articulated. They did a, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of work on that. I'm assuming he was like a stop motion uh, figure that then then matted into the scene. It's it's really good, you know, pre CGI kind of effects. But he, <laughs> also he it's something in his his main eyes, his primary eyes. He reminds me of uh, Slimer from Ghostbusters two years earlier. He's I think it's also that big mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, he's more goofy than scary, although, un- and also he's really gross. Well, he still terrified me as a kid. <laughs> I'm looking at him now; it, it, he's so silly. But like, as a little kid, I, my reaction was Jack's reaction, which, which, I, which I think here is is really fantastic. He's just my it is a good God, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just when you think it couldn't get worse, this guy shows up. You have the music too that just. It's got this sort of sinking, like oh, type feel to it when when the guardian shows up. Uh, I I looked this up on uh, on the internet. There was a an article in a website called MonsterLegacy.net, and I'll I'll put that up uh, in in the glove compartment on the website. But uh, oh, nice. apparently, uh, Steve Johnson of Boss Film Studios he mentioned that everything on the floating eye was actually a problem because it was supposed to have thirty working eyes, make all sorts of faces, and fly. And ultimately, it took 24 puppeteers to operate the Guardian in front of a blue screen. So it was a physical puppet wow. that they were doing in real time on a blue screen. And uh, there's a, a whole bunch of neat pictures and behind-the-scenes details on this article. I'll make sure to to post it. Oh, yeah. I'm really excited to, to look at that. You know, here I said just a moment ago, you know, oh, it must be stop motion. But yeah, 24 technicians all trying to work in sync yeah. with that guy. What a nightmare. There's a shot where you, you can see them from off to the side and you see some of the people that are actually working on it in front of or behind the screen. And yeah, and, uh, quite a technical feat. 
that must have been a long day. <laughs> I'm picturing, you know, they're trying to do a take, and one of those 24 guys says, oh, my my hose is jammed up. It's not working. Cut. Mm. Um, very difficult actor to work with, especially when he has, what, 31 eyeballs. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then Egg has a line where he says, I am the past come back to haunt you, Lopan. I think this uh, strengthens the argument that Egg is old. And he's probably fought Lopan before. Yeah. And that that could be an allusion to some kind of a reincarnation. Hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. Egg has, unlike Lopan, this is pure speculation, but maybe he has died and come back. Yeah. Just, I'm the past, come back to haunt you. Or, you know, remember me. Huh. But, uh, yeah. yeah, just like like I said, we got to work on that Egg Shen uh, fan fiction. <laughs> We're going to get right on it, folks. Promise. <laughs> We then cut to Lopan being dressed and attended to by the Wing Kong tailors. And uh, <laughs> uh, Ian, you were you were mentioning before that that when we were we were looking at this, uh, you know, w- Lopan right now is the ten foot tall roadblock. He's a ghost. How is it mm-hmm. that they're actually able to dress him? How is he dressed? Period. When you think <laughs> about that, but but if he was going to be dressed in magical clothes, how are the these these are impressive tailors. <laughs> <laughs> They touch upon this a little bit in the screenplay, actually. Uh, I, I was reading there, and in the screenplay, it mentions that the attendees are trying to put clothing on Lopan, which magically fits, but at the same time, their hands are going through his body. It's uh, an effect that they talked about in the screenplay, uh, probably hard to actually do in practice yeah. on film. <laughs> it would have been cool. Hmm. That would have been very cool. You know, I could probably come up with a theory that would kind of substantiate the curse that maybe it works that, you know, as this living ghost, like he's he's semi-solid. I, I would, you know, to really make it a curse, to really like for it to be a burner, I think it's, you know, when he has a desire, when he has like, oh, an apple, I really want to eat that. Oh, I can't touch it. Oh, you know, I think maybe that's the trigger to the curse. So then, you know, he can wear clothes just as long as he doesn't enjoy it too much. Huh. That kind of reminds me of the old Patrick Swayze movie, Ghost. I think it was the same type of thing there where he was trying to move mm-hmm. a penny, but he could only really do it once he sort of had passion and anger into it. And, you know, then he, he was able to, to move stuff. But yeah. he, didn't have a, he didn't have a tailor adjusting his clothes. And <laughs> no. <laughs> so I have a question about the tailors here. So these are balding, older Wing Kong, I am assuming. So did they participate in the alley fights years ago and, and now they do this? Is this, is this what, when you retire, you, you become a Wing Kong tailor? A, a promotion, demotion. Yeah. That I'm sure one of those guys could tell you about a heck of a street fight that took place in 1935. Hmm. Yeah. They're probably very close to Mrs. O'Toole back in the 1930s. They could all tell <laughs> stories about great times of the white tiger back then. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, I, I like the fact that Lopan calls Egg a bastard sorcerer. Yeah, that kind of goes with the peasant magic. <laughs> you know, wherever Egg's coming from, Lopan has that arrogant, you know, aristocratic, condon- uh, not condensation, <laughs> condescension. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also part of his 2,000-year-old uh, curse. <laughs> well, you, uh, you did say it was a damp movie, so there. <laughs> This is, this is a very damn movie. And, uh, yeah, and Lopan, doesn't he look a little clammy? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> your, your condensation attitude. <laughs> Me like English a lot. 
Well, I like when when Lopan talks, uh, you know, I guess he's channeling the the guardian at this point. And so, you know, you get the scene back in the hallway and you see the heroes there. My question is, is he on loudspeaker at this point? Does everybody hear him or is it just Egg? Because, I mean, if it is just Egg, I'm wondering, you know, well, the heroes are just sort of awkwardly standing around as Egg is getting madder and madder. Oh. <laughs> Cue it up, because I think it's all about seeing what Wang's reaction is. Hmm. He's just They're just looking around in the background, you know, like they're, they're kind of staring. I mean, there's this floating eyeball head in front of them, you know, so they're kind of staring at it. But I never thought of that till Josh mentioned that earlier. But, you know, it's it's it it's much funnier that way. <laughs> it's It's a good like, you know. 40 seconds of people just staring into space. Yeah. You know, or, you know, for that matter, maybe they can hear Lopan, but again, you got this multi-eyed uh, bowling ball staring at you, grinning. So <laughs> I could see where they'd be a little distracted, especially Jack, you know, just like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe what I'm seeing. I want to wake up. I want to wake up. I want to wake up. <laughs> but you know, this is like, I think you have to point out this is a big mistake by Lopan because it's classic supervillain monologuing. Hmm. And, you know, there's a necessity here because he's revealing the plan. So the audience knows, but um, on another level, he's just given it all away. Hmm. You know, he's classic. He's gloating. He's like, Oh, you can't stop me. And this is going to happen. And there's nothing you can do, but you know, now they know the plan. (laughs) Well, I will notice, I mean, this falls a little bit out of the five minutes, but, you know, it's another exposition bit. And guess who stops it? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, so it's just it's a common theme. Like we're just audiences. You know, we're ready to move on. Let's have our hero uh, push that story forward. I I like this because Jack's on your team. He's on your side. Hmm. You know, he's like saying, "Okay, let's. All right. Cut this. Let's move on. Yeah, he's the editor's best friend. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. enough. <of> that. <laughs> couldn't we? Couldn't we just put a montage here and be done with it? <laughs> well, the, the last thing I have here is that Lopen uh, mentions that he will live out his earthly pleasures with Mao Yin. Uh, kind of an interesting <laughs> little thing to to think about. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I think for Lopan at this point in his life, you know, earthly pleasures might be simply like, yeah, going to the market. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if this were Family Guy, you'd cut to a scene where you, yeah, you see Lopan and, you know, he's there with, uh, with Miao Yin, you know, they're pushing a shopping cart. Maybe there's a baby around, you know, some soft music playing, you know, he grabs some macaroni and cheese. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's the monotony of evil. It's just. (laughs) Well, folks, that, uh. That wraps up our five minutes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Ian, was there uh, anything that you wanted to talk about, some of the stuff that you're working on right now? Uh, you know, right now I'm on a uh, uh, the Judd Apatow Netflix series, Love, which uh, which will season – I'm working on season two, and that will air uh, sometime in March. Uh, I've got a, got a few more weeks on that, and that's been encompassing my, my entire life right now. So, uh I'll uh, finish that up. I'm going to take a little vacation and then find something for next year. That sounds exciting. Good. Exciting. Yeah. And, you know, as a filmmaker, any any independent stuff you've done? Anything, website, anything you want to plug? No, not much uh, Not much here. Uh, you know, we have a, a couple of short uh, films uh, on uh, 
If you go to fuzzbombstudios.com, F-U-Z-Z-B-O-M studios.com, we have a great, uh, I know Josh has seen this one, uh, a short uh, horror Passover comedy, because there aren't <laughs> enough Passover <laughs> horror movies, called Elijah. Yes. That you, can, uh, you can find that on uh, YouTube as well, and a Definitely few other little films, but... Uh, no, unfortunately, ever since I, I really got deep into editing and I've been working pretty steady, it, it we're we're working 60 to 80 hour weeks every week on a show. So it, it actually takes a lot of time out of your life, you know, and I'm raising a family at the same time. So my free time is kind of devoted to them these days. And that's where your life, like Lopan's, it's, it's the paradox of the curse. You're working uh, it, in the business, you're working mm -hmm. in your field, but but, you know, you can't touch the earthly desires that you wish. Yeah, well, the good thing is I I don't have many, so yeah, <laughs> we're 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 okay there. Yeah, but that's cool. You're again, you're working in the industry, and uh, yeah, working on a Judd Apatow series. That's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a fun show. What about you, Brett? Uh, what what kind of stuff are you working on these days? Uh, you know, independent little shorts. I have a, a short movie that's uh making the rounds in the horror. Uh, circuit right now. It's been in a couple of festivals. It's called Swing Shift. It, it unfortunately has nothing to do with Passover <laughs> or Hanukkah, but uh, man, I got to check out Elijah. But uh, yeah, I got you know, so yeah, and you know, I think I'll I'll make a shout out to. Uh, I, have I mentioned uh, Sensitive Seventies Turtleneck Tough Guys before? That was a movie I did with a friend of mine, uh, Jose Montesino. So that's that's gotten us a little bit of buzz. Cool. Yeah, I think you mentioned that a long time ago. Yeah. One of the early episodes. So yeah, well, I'll I'll post a link. You people need to see that. Somehow, somehow, like Henry Swanson would fit into that universe. But hmm. uh, I'll I'll leave that. You view it, and you be the judge, and uh, we can discuss on a on a in a chat room somewhere. So very good, very good. Well, uh, wrapping up this episode, please be sure to visit us at five minutes of trouble dot com. Uh, you can check out the glove compartment section on that site for some links to some of the references in this episode. We're also on Facebook at five minutes of trouble and we have a discussion group called the five minutes of trouble truck stop. So please join and continue the conversation. We're on Twitter at five minutes trouble. We're also on Stitcher. And if you can, please spread the word about this podcast to your friends, give us a review or rating on iTunes. We really appreciate it. I also wanted to give a final shout out to some of the other Movies by Minutes podcasts that are out there. Star Wars Minute has started up again with uh, their next season on Attack of the Clones. Uh, we also have our friends over at the Airport Minute, uh, Caddyshack Minute, Lord of the Rings Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and soon to come, The Godfather Minute. So please. Ooh, The Godfather Minute. Yes. Check out those and offer you can't refuse. <laughs> uh, so that, that pretty much wraps it up, gentlemen. Any final thoughts? Well, you know, if it's cool, I'm going to keep driving the uh, the pork chop here. And uh, what do you guys think? How about uh, Del Taco for lunch? First Del Taco we see, I'll pull over. <laughs> Works sounds, for me. Sounds good. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Ian, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was fun, man. Thanks. Hope you had fun. Oh, You can get out of the closet now. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Unlock the door. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, speaking for Brett, this is the Podcast Express signing off. Tune in next week for another five minutes of trouble. All right, I'm going to floor this thing. We're going. We're looking for a Del Taco.